You are listening to A Bigger Life, a podcast by The Crossing on how to live into God's bigger story. Hi, welcome to A Bigger Life. I'm Dave Cover. I want to look today at Psalm 14. This is one of these psalms. It's a little quick seven-verse psalm that you may not notice so much because it kind of says stuff that doesn't really resonate at first pass with what we're thinking about needing to pray about and meditate on. It just seems to be talking about a different thing. But if we just slow down a little bit and notice some things, I think we'll find that this is one of these psalms that challenges us to ask and to be meditative about, as we search in our own soul, what narrative do we want to live into right now? What is the narrative that we want to live into? Because that is an incredibly important question we have to ask ourselves all the time, every day. And so the first part of this psalm, the first three verses are quoted by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, when he's giving biblical evidence of the universal human condition that really nobody is righteous. Nobody really seeks after God. Nobody wants to do what is good at the cost of their own self-interest. So he takes these, these three verses in Psalm 14, and they're also, by the way, the same verses. They say the same thing as Psalm 53, 1 through 3, both Psalms of David. Uh, but Paul takes these verses and uses them as part of his argument of the need for God to be our righteousness, the need for God to be the one who is our salvation because we don't have within ourselves the ability to truly be righteous, truly do what is good, and even truly choose God apart from his working in our lives. And so it also shows that like Jesus, the Apostle Paul was steeped in the Psalms. He read the Psalms, meditated on them, and wanted to quote from this Psalm as he was making his argument in Romans chapter 3. Now, it starts off saying here that I'm going to read these three verses and say a little bit about them. It starts off, it says, the fool says in his heart. Now, whenever the Bible's talking about the fool, it's talking about somebody who just doesn't get it. Somebody who lives by impulse, lives by desire, but their desires have been corrupted by the condition of their heart. And everyone has a heart that is sick, it says in Jeremiah. And so the fool says in his heart, it says, there is no God. Now this fool may believe in God. And in some sense, when I read these passages, I want to at least be self-aware enough to see if I'm in it. So I'm not calling you a fool. And I'm not saying that you're a, a, a worse person than me. I just want us to be thoughtful enough to hear what God's Spirit may be saying to us in this psalm. And I think we have to ask ourselves the question, am I the fool? I might believe in God. I might never say there is no God. But in my heart, in my desires, I might be living as if that's the case, that there is no God. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. Now, again, people do good things, but there is nobody in the human condition 
that you can count on, including ourselves, who's always going to do what is good, especially at the cost of our self-interest. There are going to be moral failures because we have this corrupted heart that falsely sees self-interest as being selfish. And so it messes up our moral choices and our heart is sick in that way. And so there is none who does good. And this is what Paul is quoting in Romans 3 to make his point of our need for God to be our righteousness. And I think we as believers in Christ would agree with that. The author of Ecclesiastes says in Ecclesiastes 7.20, Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous. No one does what is righteous and never sins. And I think that's the point being made here in Psalm 14. No one always does what is righteous and never sins. And I think if we were honest, even the righteous deeds that we do, the good things we do are still tainted by self-interest motives, there's never a truly unselfish thing that we do. Now, I think we get the closest to that when we have true love for our children or spouse or someone that we we would sacrifice for, for their good. But I think the psalmist is saying that we don't always do that. We might have occasions where we do that, but we live our lives still selfishly. There's no one who always does what is right and never sins, Ecclesiastes says. And I think that's what the point here of Psalm 14 is. Verse 2, Yahweh, the Lord, looks down from heaven. Now, this is poetry. So this is a, a word picture. This is saying as if God is looking down from heaven. God is everywhere. But God looks from his throne on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. So the, the point here is, if we wanted to kind of reverse this, that if we if we have understanding, if we're not the fool, if we really understood reality, if we really understood what we cannot see, but the situation that we are in with God and this universe and our lives and the future and what makes a joyful life versus what makes a life of anxiety and dread and misery, if we really understood how life works, if we really understood the reality of the universe that God made that we live inside, we don't get to create our own universe, we live in God's universe, and if we really understood how that universe works, we would seek after God, because God is the source of life, he's the author of life, he's the source of joy, there is no good outside of God, and so we would seek with everything we have we would every moment seek after God because he is the good that we seek, even if we don't always know that. And if we understood that, we would seek after God. So he says again, verse 2, The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. When I read that, I've always remembered what Jesus said to the woman at the well in John 4, that a time is coming, he says. This is, these are the kinds of worshipers the Father seeks who worship him in spirit and truth. The, the Father seeks those who want to live in his glory, who want to live in his love and truth and the reality of his beauty and his glory and his radiance and his life, life-giving presence, joy-giving presence, fulfillment that comes from being connected to our creator, the one who created our souls, the one who created our heart, 
If we really understood that the Father is seeking to share his love and seeking to share his glory, seeking to share his joy, we would worship him. We would seek him in spirit and truth. The Father is seeking those who seek after God. So verse 3, they have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. We are social beings created in the image of God, and usually our corruption is a together kind of thing. Whether our together is with people we know or don't know, we are influenced by one another to become more and more corrupt, to, to be fools together, to be fools in our heart, to live as if there is no God, and to live as if we satisfy ourselves through turning away. So they have all turned aside from God. They've turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Now, we know that people do do good, that even non-Christians, and sometimes especially non-Christians, do good, and that is true. There's no doubt about it. Sacrificial acts that do good. That's not what this is saying. This is not saying there's nobody who does anything that is good. It's saying that there's none who always do what is right and never sins, who don't turn aside and who don't have a corrupted heart that is governed by self-interest more than by what is good and by what is selfless. So the fool says in his heart, There is no God, and so we turn aside, and together we become corrupt. We don't understand. We don't truly seek after God. We seek after something as we turn aside from God to satisfy ourselves. Now, here you are listening to a podcast on seeking after God. So God has done something in your heart to make at least want to pursue being opposite of the fool, being opposite of turning aside, being opposite of corrupt. You do want to do good. You do want to understand. You do want to seek after God. And you do believe, obviously, there's a God. But we have to ask ourselves, again, what narrative do we want to live into? Do I want to live in this common human condition, this social inertia narrative of turning aside, not understanding, not seeking after God, in our desire saying, well, there really is no God. Not that we say that intellectually, but just we live moment by moment more that way as if God is not with us, as if God is not the overarching context of every moment of our lives. So he says in verse 5, there they are in great terror. That's the ESV. The NIV says overwhelmed with dread. I think if we look at the narrative of our society, the level of anxiety, the level of mental health issues, anxiety issues, suicide issues, worry, fear, here he says they are in great terror, they are overwhelmed with dread. I think what happens inside God's universe, when we have to say this is something we see even in my own life, maybe you see it in yours too, I bet you do, that in God's universe, the more we turn aside, the more we live our lives of saying there is no God in the sense of not seeing God as the present context of every moment of our lives who understand and seek after God, that the more we give into that narrative, the more anxiety and a sense of worry and a sense of fear characterizes our lives. So the psalmist says in the last verse, verse 7, Notice how these psalms end this way. These psalms end 
with the focus on the reality of who God is and the need for God to be gracious, the need for God to bless, the need for God to be merciful and to restore us even in our brokenness. And that's what Psalm 14, verse 7, the last verse says, Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. Now, that's a lot of religious words that you may not understand. But remember, Israel are the descendants of Jacob. Remember, all who have faith in Christ believe in the ultimate descendant of Jacob, the ultimate descendant of Abraham and Isaac, and that's Jesus. And so the New Testament teaches that those who are in Christ are Israel. Those who are in Christ are Jacob. We are the descendants of Abraham, of Israel, of Jacob, because Jesus is the ultimate seed of Abraham and seed of Israel, seed of Jacob. So that's kind of the whole story of the Bible. I'm not going to get into any more of that now. I've done it in the past. But, oh, that salvation for Israel, for all of those who are in Christ, would come out of Zion. Zion is this poetic representation of the throne of God, the poetic representation of heaven coming back to earth. So it says, oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion when the Lord, when Yahweh restores the fortunes of his people. Let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad. Now, we just got to slow down and put ourselves in this verse because we are definitely, if we are followers of Christ, if we want to be followers of Christ, we are in this verse right here. Oh, that salvation. Remember, salvation is not I die and go to heaven. Salvation is this restoration, restoration of the earth, restoration of me in a resurrection without death, without corruption, but in glory, in power, in spiritual life, as well as physical reality. Oh, that salvation for Israel, all of God's community in Christ, all of the seed of Abraham. Oh, that salvation would come out of God bringing heaven back to earth when the Lord restores the fortunes of his people. This is a picture of when heaven comes back to earth. This is a picture of the new creation. When the Lord restores the fortunes of his people. This is poetic language describing the kingdom of God. Therefore, let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad. This joy, this gladness, because we see the joy of when this future becomes reality. But we see it now. And so we, we seek to not be the fool, but we seek to understand and seek after God. Seek to worship God, as Jesus said in John 4, in spirit and in truth, because we know that from him comes our restoration. From him comes the restoration of the fortunes of his people. We are his people. We are Israel. We are Jacob. The fortunes of his people, this is poetic language to describe living in the joy and the gladness of everything that our heart longs for in the kingdom of God. And primarily that's the presence of God. He will be our God. We will be his people. He will dwell with us and we will be in the presence of his beauty and his radiance and his glory and his life-giving, joy-giving, pleasure-giving presence. We can't understand this now. We can't even picture it now. We can somewhat, but we do have this corrupted heart and we do have this human condition that we have to still live with. We fight against being the fool, 
who says in our heart there is no God. We fight against being the fool who is corrupt, who doesn't understand, who doesn't seek after God. But we say in verse 7 with David, oh, that my salvation would come from God's presence, returning to earth when the Lord restores the joy and the life and the fortunes of everything that that word means poetically, everything that that word means in my imagination, this richness, this fullness of richness and fortune of being his people. Therefore, let me rejoice and be glad in this reality. I want to live now into that narrative. I want to live now making choices now, not to turn aside together with those who are corrupt, who don't understand, who don't seek after God, who are fools in their heart. I don't want to go that direction. I want to go the direction of the people of God. I want to go the direction of Zion. I want to go the direction of God's presence, that he restores the fortunes of his people. I want to be his people. I want to live now like his people depending upon his grace, of course, not my own righteousness, depending upon his mercy, of course, like the tax collector who beat his breast and said, have mercy on me, a sinner. But I want to say that. I want to be that. I don't want to be the fool in my heart who lives as if God is not the overarching context of every moment in my life. I depend upon his mercy. I depend upon his grace. I depend upon his righteousness. This is Paul's point in quoting this psalm in Romans 3. And so I trust in him. I want to seek after him and worship him. So let me lead us in a time of praying that right now. Let me just lead you in a time of taking this psalm and right now expressing it to God in prayer. Oh God, the Lord, the I am. I don't want to say in my heart, there is no God. I don't want to say in my desires, what can I do now to satisfy myself as if you're not present and as if you are not everything my heart seeks, everything my heart needs for satisfaction. I don't want to become corrupt together with a, with a world, with the children of mankind who are going and turning away from you together, becoming corrupt, not doing, not even one doing what is good, not any who understand and who seek after God. I don't want to go that way. I don't want to go the inertia. I don't want to go downstream with everybody else. Whether it's through the internet or through TV or through social media or through whatever it is, the stream that goes that way, I don't want to go. I want to be somebody who understands, who understands and seeks after you, worships you in spirit and in truth. Just like Jesus said, the kind of worshipers the Father seeks, I want to be one. I want to be a worshiper that glories in your glory. I want to be a worshiper that basks in your love and your beauty and your radiance and your presence because you are the I am. I have no good apart from you. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. 
because you are my creator. You are the creator of all that exists and only found in you is life and joy and gladness and glory and love and radiance and beauty and satisfaction and fulfillment because only you quench my thirst because you are the spring of living water and there is no water outside of you. So I want to seek after you even now live every moment in this true narrative and not turn aside with the fool. Oh, that my salvation, my restoration would come out of Zion, would come from your presence, come from your throne of grace, come from your love, come from your grace and your mercy, that your joy would be my joy, that your salvation would be my restoration. When the Lord, when you, Yahweh, restore the fortunes of your people, I want to be your people. I want to live in your fortunes, in your riches. I want to live in the living water of your Holy Spirit that brings joy forever. When the Lord restores the fortunes of his people with your very presence, with your very glory and your beauty and your love, your joy, the gladness. Let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad that I would rejoice even now and be glad even now because I know this narrative is true. Jesus has already died, broken through the other side of death, already risen from the dead. This has already started. The new creation, the restoration, the salvation out of Zion has already begun on earth. And so I want to be in that story. I want to be your people. I want to understand and seek after God and do good. That I would see the joy now of when this is going to happen because it's already happening. So now I want to understand and seek after God and worship the Father in spirit and truth. I worship you your glory, your beauty, your presence. Always your presence in my life, never not. Your joy, because you are the source of joy. You are the source of good. You are the source of fulfillment. You are living water. And I worship you now in spirit and truth by your Holy Spirit who softens my heart toward you, who gives me a heart to draw near to you, who gives me a mind to more and more understand so that I would seek after God as I do even now. And I pray this in Jesus' name, giving thanks to you for your mercy and grace toward me in Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to A Bigger Life, a podcast of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and give it a rating so people can find this content more easily or consider texting it to a friend or posting it on social media. Thanks for listening.